considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, and when the, the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Hello again. You're still here. It's good. Now, as Steve said earlier, we're exploring a theme during the autumn, and it's following Jesus 24-7. For many of you, that may be a comfortable thought, or for some of you, maybe quite an uncomfortable thought. Following Jesus might make you feel as uncomfortable as Shrewsbury Town would be in the Premier League. But, uh, <laughs> look, you know... It's the truth. (laughs) And what we're exploring this, to think practically, what difference does following Jesus, being his follower, his disciple, make to life? And so today we're thinking about a very important topic, being hopeful 24-7. And we're going to explore how we can be people full of hope every moment of every day, no matter what we face in life. Now in the movie, Apollo 13, you may have seen it, with the fate of astronaut Jim Lovell and his crew in jeopardy, an old interview airs on television where he talks about the hope of finding a way home. I'm going to turn the lights off and we're going to watch the clip of this television interview now. Commander Jim Lovell has more time in space, almost 24 days already, than any other man. And I asked him recently if he ever was scared. Oh, well, I've had an engine flame out a few times in an aircraft and was kind of curious as to whether it was going to light up again, things of that nature. But uh, they seem to work out. Is there a specific instance in an airplane emergency when you can recall fear? Uh, Well, I tell you, I remember this one time I'm a... I'm in a banshee at night in combat condition, so there's no running lights on the carrier. Uh, it was the Shangri-La, and we were in the Sea of Japan, and my, my radar had jammed, 
And my homing signal was gone because somebody in Japan was actually using the same frequency. And so it was, it was leading me away from where I was supposed to be. And I'm looking down at a big black ocean. So uh, I flip on my map light. And then suddenly, zap, everything shorts out right there in my cockpit. All my instruments are gone, my lights are gone, and I can't even tell now what my altitude is. Uh, I know I'm running out of fuel, so I'm thinking about, uh, about ditching in the ocean. And I, I look down there, and then in, in the darkness, there's this, uh, there's this green trail. It's like a long carpet that's just laid out right beneath me, and it was the algae, right? It was that phosphorescent stuff that gets churned up in the wake of a big ship, and it was, it was, it was just leading me home. And now, if my cockpit lights hadn't shorted out, there's no way I'd have ever been able to see that. So, uh, you, uh, you never know what, what events are going to transpire to get you home. Okay, spacecraft commander Jim Lovell, no stranger to emergencies. So, Jim Lovell, uh, it's an old interview, and the crew, his crew, are in trouble on Apollo 13. But he says those words, My instruments are gone, lights are gone, I can't even tell my altitude, I'm thinking of ditching in the ocean, and then the green carpet leading me home. If the darkness hadn't come, Jim wouldn't have been able to see the very thing that gave him hope and led him home if the darkness hadn't come maybe you felt like this man at times or maybe you feel like him right now like you don't know what direction you're heading in like everything's been plunged into darkness like you don't know what you're doing even or to put ourselves in the story we heard from the Bible and to see ourselves as the friends of Jesus in that boat we feel or maybe we have felt all at sea at some point, pounded by the waves of life's situations, difficulties and struggles. What with the cost of living, old age creeping up on you, jobs under threat, wage cuts, increased workload, money worries. It's easy to see why it's difficult to have hope. Pressures at school or college, they can be difficult to cope with. And this isn't before we even get on to what we're up against in our own families. Be honest, we all have problems in family life. Ill health, struggles with our children, divorce, finances not stretching far enough, bereavement, arguments, mounting bills. I'm sure if we were all honest here, we'd all have a, a number of different difficulties. Life can be tough and it can be difficult to hold on to any hope. So how can we hold on to hope then every day, no matter what we're going through, regardless of how difficult things get? Well, the writer, Matthew, who wrote that snippet from the Bible that we heard earlier, tells this incredible story about Jesus to encourage us to see ourselves as the disciples who are in that boat, in that storm, or even to see ourselves as Peter, who's struggling to stay afloat. Matthew is identifying with us and all human beings by highlighting that storms come along. Sometimes staying afloat seems just as impossible as walking on water. But more than this, Matthew is encouraging all of us to put our trust in Jesus. 
loud and clear. Matthew sounds the message. Jesus has power over the storms. He's Lord of the storms. And because of this, he's worth trusting whenever we feel more turbulence than we're comfortable with. But what difference will this make when we or those we know are struggling to see what hope there is for their work or their marriage or their relationships or their battle against illness? What difference? Well, Matthew wants to help by giving a number of life-changing encouragements. And these will enable us to be hopeful 24-7. And we're going to explore them now together. Firstly, Jesus is with us in the storm. Now, when I was learning to drive, and when I added up uh, this week, it's over 20 years ago, which is a frightening thought. I remember the first time I... uh, my instructor took me on the A500 in Stoke. Now, if any of you went on the old A500, I'm sure some of you did, if you had the unfortunate (laughs) reason to go through Stoke at the time. And um, it was a frightening road. Well, it certainly was for me as a 17-year-old, driving up to that huge roundabout and seeing these cars whizzing in every direction, about six directions, and thinking, where do I start? Where am I supposed to go? What happens when it all goes pear-shaped? Unfortunately, I had my instructor with me, in the car, guiding me, telling me what to do, giving me encouragement. He obviously thought I did so badly, he took me around there again straight afterwards. But having someone with you who knows what they're doing makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? It really does. When the wind blew through the steep valleys around the Sea of Galilee, the waters could get rough. They still can. And rowing would be hard. And that's exactly what happened for the disciples in the story we heard. And then Jesus comes. And Matthew describes him as the presence of God in that frightening situation. Jesus walks on the sea as only God can do. He greets his friends by saying, It is I. And these words echo the time recorded in the book of Exodus where God's presence is marked with the words, I am. And then Jesus tells his friends to fear not. Easier said than done. Borrowing the words of the prophet Isaiah when he spoke God's words, fear not. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I shall be with you. Matthew is showing that Jesus is is Emmanuel, God with us, right there with you in whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that life is throwing at you. So when the waters get rough for you and for me, we can remember that God is with us and we can trust him because he's more than capable of helping us in that situation. Moving on then. Secondly, Matthew encourages us to be like Peter And to do some wading for God. What is it that children love about wading? Has anybody any idea? If we set our children, our three children, in front of a stream, they would gladly wade there for weeks. Weeks on end. And the deeper the better, it seems to me. Deep enough so the water goes over their wellies. That always seems to be the aim. And then they moan that their socks are wet. But that 
childlike love of going in rivers and wading in streams. It seems to lose us at some point. We lose it. It goes somewhere. And yet here in this story, we see this almost childlike approach of Peter. He quite literally goes overboard for Jesus. He's impulsive. He's committed. And he's very enthusiastic. But on the other hand, he's also fragile, ordinary, and vulnerable. Lots of people find Peter very helpful for this reason. We can see something of ourselves in his roller coaster spiritual journey. His pilgrimage as a Christian has many twists and turns. It has ups and it has downs. And we can relate to that. We can relate to that mix of devotion and disaster. That's Peter, isn't it? And in this section of Peter's journey, Jesus calls him, you'll notice from the story, you of little faith. You of little faith. That's what Jesus calls him. Peter isn't faithless, but his faith is faulty. It's flawed, patchy, incomplete, and insecure. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to having some faith in God? Even if that faith makes you feel quite uncomfortable. But it's a faith that's patchy. It's incomplete or insecure. I can. I hope I'm not alone. Maybe we all can if we're truly honest. Remember, if Jesus thinks it's okay for Peter, then it's okay for me and it's okay for you. God can work with imperfect. He's good at imperfect. And so he can work with imperfect faith. He can mold it into something greater. He can add color, depth, and life. We know because Jesus did so with Peter. He trusted Peter. And he carried on doing so. Even after Peter denied knowing Jesus at all, three times, three separate times after Jesus died. So be encouraged. We don't need to be perfect. We don't need armor-plated Christian faith to be a member of God's church. But what we can do, like Peter, is have the courage to wade out to Jesus and be honest with him about how fragile, how vulnerable and full of doubt we really are. So the third life-changing encouragement Matthew gives is to see that through the storms, faith can find solid ground. For me, life has brought along a number of storms. And in lots of ways, we still live with the choppy waters created by the original storm. That's life. You know that from personal experience. But it isn't the lack of doubts or fears or pain that keeps me going. Because I've got all of those. It's God's hope in my life. It's as simple as that. For the disciples who'd gone through this storm together, this experience was a moment of growth in their faith. The incident ends with them saying, and worshipping even Jesus, truly, you are the Son of God. Clearly, their eyes were being opened. They were moving on in their spiritual journey. Knowing that Jesus had got them through one storm, 
was, must have been a great encouragement and it must have really influenced them in the days and the weeks that followed. And this can happen for us. We have the encouragement to know that even though things might not turn out the way we'd hoped or planned, that God will get us through the storm. He's got the bigger picture in mind. He gives us the promise that life is safe in his hands. He knows because he's overcome and overpowered death. And for this reason, for those that trust God in every moment of every day, we'll know that our lives on this earth and beyond in eternity will be safe in his hands. Just as Jesus was with his friends in the storm, God will be at work for good in the lives of those who welcome him into their boat. And when we know God's help, our faith grows, it becomes stronger, and it finds solid ground. Like Jim Lovell on Apollo 13, we'll know that if the darkness hadn't come, we wouldn't have been able to find the very thing that would give us hope and lead us home. And so if that was Matthew's third encouragement, then the fourth and the final one is this. Those who put their hope in God will be able to help others find that hope. Notice what Matthew tells has happened once the boat reaches dry land. People came to Jesus for healing. But in verse, verse 35, he says that people brought their sick to him. People hoped that Jesus could and would make a difference to life. And they brought him all those they knew needed his help. Matthew shows us what hopeful people can do. Those who hope in God. We can help others experience the power of God at work for good in their lives too. For us all as individuals and as, uh, as Christ Church based on Hill, this means taking Matthew's life-changing encouragements on board. When we do, we'll have the ability to walk into the storms that others are facing and help bring God's hope to them. God is calling us as a church to be a hopeful people, hopeful about what can do, God can do in and through us. Hopeful in prayer, hopeful at the school gate when we're talking with other parents, hopeful in the office, hopeful around the dinner table, hopeful on the school playground, hopeful about the resources God's giving us as a church. But to be a church full of hope, we need hope in our own lives. So to finish, honestly, what hope do you need? None? Because I can't believe it if so. What hope do you really need? Whatever we're facing at the moment, the good, the bad, or the downright ugly, I encourage us all to see Jesus with us in the middle of whatever it is and to trust him. I encourage us to do some waiting for God and to go to him with our imperfect faith, doubts and fears. And thirdly, I encourage us all to allow the storm to build a faith on more solid ground. A faith that trusts that ultimately God is at work for good in the lives of those who welcome him into their boat. If you want hope, then believe me, the best place to be is in church. Connecting with God, meeting with him. 
In church, when we share communion, the bread and the wine, we pray these words. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us so that we and all your children shall be, shall be free. It's our prayer that the hope we have will bring hope to others. So what hope do those you know and love need at the moment? And how will you walk into their storms to help them experience the power of God at work for good in their lives? I'll leave those questions with you.